Talking industry, topical debate from the world of engineering, automation, and manufacturing. A DFA Manufacturing Media production. IIoT Communications and 5G Part 2. Brought to you by Drives and Controls Exhibition, the leading trade show for automation, power transmission, and motion engineering. Visit drives-expo.com. Appreciable improvements to existing systems, like safety systems, also qualify for tax credit. So that's a, that's an interesting point to bear in mind, because it's uh, because it's development. Um, so development doesn't just have to be a new idea; it can be an improvement of an existing idea as well. So I, I think that's a that's a very useful um, uh, point to bear in mind when you're you're looking at yeah, how to build the, even, the business even. case. And Jonathan, even if it's parallel, so sometimes you have the button still in place, you keep the button, but you have, a, I don't know, something more digital next to it. So the taxi system, the English taxi system works also in this case? And, and the Europe, so the English tax system and the European tax system are more or less exactly the same because they were born out of the same European legislation. Um, so yeah, any appreciable improvement to a system or a process can be qualified for a, for a tax credit. So if you introduced uh, an AI camera system for safety in parallel with um, physical emergency stop buttons, then um, you've made an appreciable improvement to the system. And providing that you meet the, uh, the qualifying um, basis for, for R&D, then, then that would qualify. Um, and uh, that those improvements can go back up to two years. I'll, I'll talk about those a little bit uh, at the end, uh, but you can go back up to two years um, oh, for, for those for those claims. So yeah, it, it all does qualify. Oh, great. Okay, really good. Okay, uh, well, Chris has been sitting patiently listening to this, and I guess he he may well wish to make some comments of his own on the discussion that we've had up to now. But he'll also put a uh, Profit bus slant on it. So uh, let's look forward to hearing you, Chris. Thanks, Andy. Uh, so, so just basically summarise the three speakers before me. Yeah. So, so, so R and D tax credits. Um, my organisation, iTech, we we utilise that a lot to do developments for our clients, be it safety or IoT. Uh, but they also use them very uh, very well to improve their facilities. So uh, it's definitely worth contacting Jonathan if you guys have any any ideas about developing your facilities, uh, be it through any type of industrial internet of things or digitalization project, because there may be a, an R&D slant on that. Uh, with regards to the network, I'm going to talk a bit about that, but I think there was a couple of comments in the chat. Mixing the networks, having the right mix of network technology is the right way to do it. Not just picking one, but I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. And finally, on the kind of culture and doing it small steps. As my, my own organisation, we do a lot of these types of projects and you need to do a pilot project or a proof of concept because your original concept is not what you end up with. So if you do a small bite, a small chunk, one machine, one line, one small part of your plant and start to develop that to the nth degree, you'll then become... Uh, you'll, you'll embrace your people, they'll become part of the project, but you'll also see what you really need to do and then everything will kind of spill out from that. So it's just a quick summary of, of where we are. 
Uh, today, I'm here on behalf of the PI Group. Uh, I'm actually the Managing Director of uh, ITEC, who are a systems integrator based in Scotland. Uh, but we are also on the steering committee for the PI Group, who are uh, the UK branch of Profibus and Profinet International. Uh, and we are an organisation that provides valuable insight and support and education and basically overall awareness of all things Profibus, Profinet, IOLINK and OMLOX. And it's really about the network. Or a simpler way to say it is how you get the data um, out of the system, yeah, and how you connect that those points of data together, and really that is the backbone of IIoT um, uh, or Industry Four, whatever you want to call it. Um, and there's lots of legacy equipment out there, so I'll talk a little bit about the legacy, and I'll talk a little bit where it, where it's going. All right. So as as Andy said, uh, the PI Group, the P stood for Profibus for years, and as we all know, Profibus is a is based on a traditional 485 network, and it's mainly used to connect plant-based devices such as I.O. and variable speed drives. It's very structured in its architecture, and it can be connected in mediums such as copper, fiber, or even wireless. There's two forms of it. There's DP, decentralized periphery, and PA, process automation. The PA one's mainly used in, for instrumentation and in hazardous environments, and, and it utilizes a, a technology called Manchester Bus Protocol, which allows you to put power and communications over one cable. And I'm explaining that in a bit more detail because there's a big development in that coming up soon, which I'll talk about. Profinet is then basically uh, the same telegram structure as Profibus, but it uses industrial ethernet as the carrier medium. So it doesn't use 485. So all the, the kind of limits of 485 uh, are, are kind of superseded by using uh, an ethernet based uh, platform. Um, and then it can also gain all the architecture benefits, you no know, using switches and routers and, and all the benefits you gain from using internet. And again, it can be on copper or fiber optic or wireless, but now you've got the added introduction of four or 5G network infrastructure. The big kind of move now uh, for the PA side of things on Profibus, so just now Profinet only does the, the, the DP side of things, so basically IO uh, in a non-hazardous environment. There's a, a new uh, development called Advanced Physical Layer, or APL, uh, and basically this is allowing a, a two-wire Ethernet-based solution, and again, it will have power and comms over the one cable and allow you to put equipment into hazardous area on Ethernet. Uh, and finally, the, the, kind of the, the top three that I'll talk about is IO-Link. Uh, IO-Link's a point-to-point -point interface for low-cost connection of smart devices. Uh, basically, multiplex is IO. Uh, it can be seen as a low, the lowest form of industrial network, uh, but it can be used with conventional devices such as sensors. Um, and as I stated earlier, a traditional industrial network comprises of a mix of these technologies, right? So basically, kind of like that was at the bottom here in this triangle, quite an old diagram, but it was kind of to make this point. Um, and what it's trying to show is that at the field level, um, you've got multiple, you've, you've not just got I.O. link, you've got things like ASI I.O. link, people have used Profibus, DeviceNet and Modbus, and what they do with that is they use it to collect the field devices and the data from that and send it back to the controller, so that's your raw data coming back from the field. Then you go up to the control level and there was, there's been mediums such as Profibus, DeviceNet, Modbus, kind of moving more now towards industrial Ethernet based solutions like Ethernet, IP, Profinet, Modbus TCP, and there's a few others. And that then allows the controllers to communicate with other controllers, but then also to operate around the faces such as HMIs and SCADA. And then all that data is pulled up to the top level at the information level, 
that's always been an Ethernet-based system, usually industrial Ethernet if it's done properly, and that connects to things such as DCS, MES, ERP systems. However, as we said earlier, we're starting to see a big move to Ethernet-based for everything, uh, and that's creating a lot of flatter structure. But with Ethernet-based systems, and I think that's what um, the guys earlier, like um, Michael and, and, and Gillard, were trying to say, is that we, we need to look at Ethernet-based issues rather than, than the gains that we get. So we need to look at network security uh, as a huge part of that. Um, it does give us more robust and stru uh, structured network. Uh, Profibus had its issues with, with installations and cabling. Um, and it also gives you the improved design. But with that, you need to test it and make sure that it's going to work. Um, and the other big massive benefit is you're going to get real-time diagnostics. Uh, and that's something that we uh, specialize in, is getting that diagnostic out the, the internet, out the, the industrial uh, network. I'll come on to that in a second. But what we see, the big point here, and no one's mentioned this shit, is we're now seeing in a huge combination of the IT and OT worlds. So the information technology world and operational technology world are now combining and becoming one. And everyone has to learn the terminology of both networks and both uh, industries. Uh, and most of it is really coming together. So what we see to, to achieve that, that the people have to change, right? They have to change and they have to learn and educate themselves more. So when you're doing a network design, uh, previously you would have gone away and do a Profibus course, but now we're needing people that are kind of Cisco CCNA uh, certified so that you make sure that you've got trained professionals designing your network to the right to the level. So they're certified, then they're approved, uh, and then they use the correct hardware to do that system. So they're picking the right hardware that's been designed and manufactured to do the right job at the right time. Um, and it's been installed properly. So for example, you don't use a non-managed switch and a secure network. You have to use a managed switch and control all the routing and switching within that network from that managed switch. Um, then when you're installing it, you need to make sure you're using certified installers. That's the biggest issue we ever see on poor industrial networks is a badly installed network. So for example, uh, us at the PI group, we offer a, a advice and also training courses on how you become, for example, a Profinet installer. Um, you can find uh, all the information on that on our website, so www.profibusgroup.com. Uh, I'm not plugging something here, there's all load of free information on that that you can have, have a look at that. Uh, and then the, the, kind of one of the other areas that we've seen uh, a huge benefit on the industrial Ethernet side of things is that we can do in-line in and real-time analytics. And we've done that for years on the hardware. So the PLCs, the SCADAs, the PCs, but we never really did it for the networks. We just let the network work. And, and some of the 485 networks worked, even though they were very poorly installed. And they only failed when you didn't want them to fail. And they were very hard to find defaults because there were so many of them. So now when we do an industrial network based on ethernet, we can build in devices such as Presentex Atlas that monitors the network continually and it gives you basically data back telling you how well it's performing. Uh, and that allows you to do things like periodic health checks and base the, the install test, the, the network to the, the state it is in now. So, so finally, the network is the backbone, as I said, but it can be copper, it can be fiber, wireless or 5G, right? But we've got to get it right. So we've got to make sure that we use certified and experienced network architects to design it. 
got to make sure that the, the installers are, are certified and have the right experience. And the best way to do that is to get proof for them from them, show, show that they've got the, the credentials and that they've done it before. Make sure that the installed network has got built-in diagnostics. Again here, um, it's good to get proof. But one of the best things we've seen here is when it's installed, get the right uh, documentation and uh, the, a network scan so that you can see how good it has been installed and you can always compare your health checks to that again in the future. And make sure you plan for the future. Because if you put a network in now and you don't and you know you're going to develop it in the next few years, make sure you plan that in now. Don't don't leave it till then. And finally, as I said earlier, security. Make sure your structure's correct, you've got the right firewalls, you've got the right demilitarized zones, and that your network security is properly planned and implemented to meet the requirements. That, that's that's a really good summary, and uh, and it's led to uh, a veritable frenzy, and both from our panelists and from our attendees about various comments and sources of information on, on networking systems. So um, I think after we've heard from Prakash, we'll go back and just revisit that as a collective panel and talk about some of the things that have been raised, because I think that's really quite an interesting um, angle to take. Before we do that, um, and with thanks for his patience in the middle of the night, I'd like to move now to Prakash, who will tell us uh, of his experiences actually using these technologies and what benefits um, NIDEC have got out of it um, in their motors and drives. This Talking Industry episode is brought to you by Drives and Controls Exhibition, the leading trade show for automation, power transmission and motion engineering. Visit drives-expo.com. Thank you, Andy. Uh, my name is Prakash Sahi. I'm an engineering director for new product development at Nidec Motor Corporation. It's, it's based in St. Louis, Missouri in the US. At Nidec, I have twofold responsibilities. First is uh, leading the product elements on smart motors and drive for the appliance market. And second uh, in responsibilities, I'm also part of a company-wide uh, strategy committee to you know, promote digitalization throughout the corporation. Uh, using IOTs, also IIoT, and like any other technology for the industry 4.0. So really the idea is how can we use uh, you know, this, this technology to enhance our uh, you know, business value propositions. And then you know, my, my own interest in this arena also extend beyond the engineering side of it and more into business challenges as well. I'm currently pursuing a doctoral program at uh, nearby university area in St. Louis called University of Missouri, St. Louis in business, you know, in the business field. And I'm studying on, uh, researching on consumers' expectations and experiences on using IoT and some of these technologies because it's really important to understand what their expectations are as well. And today, uh, you know, hearing from all the panel, I'm, I was really excited to hear in different points that they make now I was taking notes as well, and this is really great. So hopefully what I'm about to say will probably complement some of those uh, points. Because uh, we know that the, 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 the importance of IoT, IIoT to our business is, is great, right? We know that. And some of us may already have some case studies done in our business to see how IIoT can change 
you know, probably change our businesses and transform the way we do things in our industries and hopefully lead us to, uh, you know, really powerful business outcomes. But also on the flip side, we hear every day that with this big shift in, in internet technologies, if our companies don't embrace these IOTs and IIOTs or digitalization, our future can be at risk as well. So, so you have both sides of that. So, so how do you, you know, how do you choose the right technology and the right products is, a, is really important. So the big question to me always is, is there any tools that, uh, you know, both as a technologist or as businesses, we can, you know, use to help decide, you know, what to work on. And, you know, we, we heard from Michael earlier saying, start small. I and mean, that's, that's great, uh, great, great idea there. And it really, really makes sense, start small. We heard from Jonathan saying, you know, you try to do things that give you R&D credits. I mean, that's, you know, you, you get to do research with uh, you know, government funds or some, or for tax credit, that's always great. And, and Gilad mentioned about, you know, why, you know, why you should do it, probably, probably gonna answer the question why you should do it. So, you know, I, likewise, what I wanna say is, what I always tell myself is when I, when I look at the technologies and the, and the problems that we have, I also ask myself, you know, it's not the technology that we're gonna sell, it's the solutions. So what solutions are going to work for us? And I'll, I'll tell you a small framework that I usually use, at least in my, in my business cases. You know, this, this framework actually is based on an old, old IBM framework, you know, framework called, uh, I think it's called uh, you know, business planning, internal business planning framework. But a uh, you know, couple of you know, uh, academics, they turn into what they call customer service lifecycle which really looks at the you know, life cycle of a customers when they buy our products or services. And those customers can be internal, like in your factory or in your uh, offices, or it could be external, like you know, consumers as well, right? So, so this is really a way to look at uh, you know, how businesses relationships with customers is, and then use that to figure out what solutions or what problems you can solve. So you can use that, and people have successfully used that in, uh, in figuring out what IoT use case to work on, or you could use that for IIoT, 5G, and other technologies as well. Because you are looking at cost, you know, your relationship with your customers and trying to figure out how you can improve the customer service and provide a better or higher competitive advantage. So you know, I don't want to get into the you know, big details of it, and I can give you more information on that if you want to read upon it. But you know, we use that once, you know, once in a while at our work. Uh, at Needac, we sell motors and drives. We're the biggest manufacturers of motors and drive. We sell every kind of motors to you, like small, very tiny motors that fit into phones. Uh, you can't see my phone, but whenever a phone vibrates, you know, there's a, our motor is probably in there to big slurry pump motors, you know, that are bigger than a, you know, like a shed or a size of a small house, or, you know, so make all kinds of motors. And, and that technology has been around for many years, right? But the way we, we use them now or the way we sell them is changing thanks to, you know, IoT and IIoT and now 5G coming up. So we can, we have, 
we can we don't want to sell to our OEMs now. We we can sell you know services and we can provide value added services to our customers, which is a big deal about it. So for example, we have a product called Select Tech Pro, which you can see behind me on the slide on the on the right side of me on the slide. This this product was done with this with this particular business case is that when we sell motors to our uh, OEMs, you know, we're their requirements are very different. They they want the lowest cost motors that does the certain uh, feature set that they they require and 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 that's it. They, they're really on the lower cost. But the end customer that's buying you equipment, right, from the OEMs, it could be a, a refrigerator, it could be a, a, your, your furnace, air conditioner, or any other thing, their requirements may be slightly different. Like, for example, they wanna use the systems, but when systems break down, they wanna know what to do because service calls we know are very expensive, right? So, so what we, we said is that, okay, what, What's our relationship with our end customers? Because we sell to OEMs, but we gotta also figure out our end customers. And that's what you know, made us make this motor is that we wanted to make the servicing side of things for the end customers less expensive. So for an installer, like for example, in the US, when they go to install a new motor in your home or in your businesses, they have to carry maybe 20 motors in their trucks. And then they make a service call. And if that motor is bad, and if they have the right motor in their truck, they will replace it. But more than likely, they don't know which motor it is. So they have to go back to the service center again and bring the right motor and service it. So this electric pro does is it uses IoT to be able to connect through your phone to, the, you know, to our database and download the right profiles on, on our motor so that the truck, so in their truck, the store can just carry one or two motors and they can make it work in a system without having to go back with our very expensive service calls. So, so those are the things that if you think about it from you know, customer's point of view, you can come up with those, with those solutions and your use cases. And then you can extend it further by using Things like sensors, like I have, you know, what I call foresight here on my left, on the back of my left, it's a it's a product that senses vibrations, senses temperature, and is is able to do predictive analysis and tell you when a motor might fail or your system might fail. So so that a a our our customers air conditioner doesn't go off on the hottest day, so they can they can tell ahead of time and do a service which will be less costly and, and they're, they'd be happy customers. So the idea is trying to understand the relationship with your customer is probably very, very important now because with this IoT and Internet of Things and IIoT, you can really provide you know, valuable service to your customers. And that, it, that's one of my point I want to make. And you can extend that to a factory as well, right? So you have a stamping machine and your motor you know, is, is not the expensive part. Your stamping machine is the expensive part. If that breaks down, your whole product, like your product line stops. So if you're able to use sensors, if you're able to crunch data, use 5G, whatever technology you have, and you're able to do predictive maintenance, you're able to tell that something is going to break, or even if it breaks, 
if they if the if the technician can know exactly what broke, did my motor break? Did my control break? Did my valve break? What did it break? Then it's a it's a it's something they can replace within an hour instead of having you know taking eight hours to figure out what actually broke. So 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 using that relationship with the people, the users, it could be your customers in the external customers, like in your uh, let's say consumers or even the users in your factories, they're also your customers. Their relationship with that machine or, or that uh, end equipment is really important. And so what I you know, really want to you know, end by saying is that sometimes as technologists, we, we like a certain technology and, and we want to you know, provide the technology and assume that it's going to meet customers' needs and expectations. But really, it should be the other way around. You know, we should start out with what our customers need, and and then match the technology that provides the best uh, solution and the lowest cost. That's really good, uh, Prakash, and I, I think it's um, it's a good opportunity now for us um, to sort of all talk as a panel about um, a, about the point about customers. I think um, yeah, my, my question would be to everyone really. Um, how, how have customers' expectations changed as a result of 5G and IIoT? And how sophisticated um, is their knowledge and how much are they driving change? So to perhaps start with Prakash and then we can, we can work around the panel on that one. Sure, I think, uh, you know, from, from what I, you know, what I have experienced both at work and in my academic uh, life is that you know, people, you know, mostly consumers, at least in the US, they, you know, they want, they want to be connected. So, so, so there's a, there's a whole level of people now, especially younger people, they want to be connected, they want to be able to know things, what's going around them. But then what we're also seeing is this move, you know, move away from, you know, that this, there's too much connected, you know, connectedness right now. So, so I think what, what may need to happen, at least, you know, what I have kind of seen is that people or consumers need to be able to set their own level of connectedness. So, you know, if you, if you go out and make a product that's always stays connected, meaning, you know, connected to another device, connected to a server, connected to uh, your, your company site or whatever it may be, I think what, what you might end up having is that you might sell that to certain, you know, customers, but some of them might shun away. So I think the, the, the focus now with companies is that to provide connectedness and let the consumer decide how much connectedness they want. For example, some, con you know, some consumers might just be happy with having their, their, uh, their system or whatever the appliance might be just connected to their phone that they can see or within their own home only, but they don't want it to be connected to, for example, Amazon's web services somewhere up there. So, so I think that giving the varying level of connectedness might be what's, you know, what's needed, especially with the 5G, because we know it's going to grow a lot. Thank you. Michael, do you have a, a comment on that? Prakash explained everything else. It's, um, it's not people are not ready to go. I mean, they're ready to go, but it's very complex uh, for them to uh, really analyze what's, what the offer and how to start. 
But on the market, we see different uh, different type of industries also. Uh, you have industries such as automotive; they are really advanced. And I mean, this uh, this uh, this IoT um, evolution already started several years ago, and they are really um, they are in now. They play with it they, as they do everything with it in most of this automotive uh, industry, but. There are also industries where it just started, just just uh, sees interest, but they didn't start with uh, with this journey. So it's um, we are really in the middle of uh, of the evolution, actually. Yeah. So so a wide spectrum of experiences, really. Yeah. Chris, Chris, where do you see see things? Oh, close to Michael. Um, if you take food and beverage as an example, which is one of the biggest yes. industry areas in the UK, uh, and there's a, a huge spectrum there. Yeah, but a lot has been acquisition. So bigger companies acquiring smaller companies, which means they acquire various levels of technology. So you can have one production line with seven different manufacturers, PLCs on it, each with a different level of connectivity. Um, and they just expect you as a systems integrator to go in and make it connect it, connect it as an IoT system. Um, so there's a bit of education there and that kind of leads into all things. So you need to educate the customer and that's why I say a, a, some sort of pilot or proof of concept project, uh, picking a small part of the plant or a small machine and getting it working and, and then developing a system with them, bring them on that journey and making sure you've got a broad spectrum of people from the organisation, not just senior management. We want operators and engineering and maintenance, the whole, the whole team to be involved because they all benefit. Everyone benefits from a really good IoT solution um, and it's to show them those benefits um, uh, but uh, not a lot of cost. You, know, you don't want to go in there with a huge, expensive project at the start. If you can get in there with a cost-effective solution, develop the project with them in partnership. And I think there's been a question there, how do you start on this journey? How do you convince your senior management? You do it by showing them a proof of concept that didn't cost a lot, and then show them the benefits. Excellent. Gilad, we've uh, we've left you till uh, fourth, not, not last, Jonathan. Um, what what are your um, what are your comments um, regarding customers' expectations um, and how much that that is driving um, implementation? Right. So when we started off with five G, we had a very hard task because we were dealing with communication engineers on the factory floor, and they already had a spec. Nine times out of ten, they had no idea why that spec exists but it was copied from another bid or was taken by the, the, the most expensive vendor that wanted to, to make sure he sells enough of this stuff. And this is unfortunately still the norm today. And sometimes government budgets even make it worse, not better. So the thing is, and you asked what are the customer expectation? And it was mentioned before, what we have discovered, the process we do is perhaps it's not the best of names, but we call it kind of a stimulus meeting in which we try to get the biggest skeptics, the ones who say, this has no interest to me involved. And I'll give you three very short, simplistic examples. One is a scrap metal company that we were working with. And they said, guys, we sell scrap metal, AI, and then they discovered that one of their biggest problems is trying to calculate how much scrap metal they have before they can order uh, removal of that scrap metal from their junkyard. 
Another example, um, somebody that comes from, uh, from the beer uh, manufacturing, and he said, look, we have a horrible leakage problem from some of our tanks, and we just wanna have like a, like a, a dog looking robot uh, examining these leaks. And the third one, which is really out of scope, you would never believe, is we went to this big chemical factory and they said, uh, after that they discovered that they don't need 5G, one of their safety engineers said, if we could get in real time an analysis about the color and the way that our chimney smoke propagates, we could save a lot of money. So we were talking about examples. These are the examples we're talking about. When you get already to the point where it's about specs and people are throwing, we need five gigabits of capacity for something, you're probably too late because you're probably already buying something that you're not necessarily gonna use. So, and I think what is incredible for me in the panel, I think we're all in agreement for that. It's got to start with why do you need it? But perhaps something I added here is probably you don't know why you need it. And you, the only way to know it is you got to bring a bunch of people to the room, not necessarily the smartest ones, but maybe the most experienced ones that would also ask the dumb questions. Can this help me figure out the amount of scrap metal is a question you would not get from, from a communication engineer. You're gonna get it from the maintenance engineer. And perhaps a little bit of humility for us as managers is what actually could make this kind of a project a success. Yeah, so, so the actual problem has got nothing to do initially with the method of solution. It's just purely, I've got a problem, what do I do to solve it? And then the, the 5G or IIoT connection actually comes in later as the best method of solving it. And it, it seems to me that, that 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 would sort of describe the sort of examples that you've you've just gone through that, um, you know, your customer isn't coming to you saying, well, I, I want to use 5G to to work out how my chimney stack smokes. They just want to find out how the chimney stack smokes. And, and, and lo and behold, you have the answers, um, which happens to be a small step at implementation of a 5G concept. Thank you for listening to Talking Industry. Stay tuned for part three across all podcast apps. Follow us on social, subscribe to our newsletters and keep up to date at talkingindustry.org.